On Monday, August 8th, Tall Can Audio hits 1,000 episodes. Wait, that's still on? Who could possibly still care? And the gang is all here to celebrate. It's euphoric. It's got to be close to Nirvana. It's outstanding. For the first time ever, Maddie, Michaela, Rob, and Matt are all live in studio together. It's happening, you guys! It's happening! Oh my god! Oh my god! I wish you all were here! Is this likely to go well? Just check my notes here. No! At least it will make a lot of noise. Boom. Here comes the boom. A thousand pods and a thousand pints. I don't think I've ever been as proud in my entire life. TCA 1000 drops Monday, August 8th, wherever you find low-quality podcasts. Fuck, it's out of control. Shit. You're listening to Tall Can Audio, Canada's number one craft beer-fueled sports show. I will give you a show like you have never, ever seen before. Why? Because I can. Here's your host. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Matt Robinson. How's it going, everybody? Welcome inside an all-new episode of the Talk and Audio Podcast. My name's Matt Robinson with you in our studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Talk and Audio. I hope you'll subscribe wherever you're listening right now. And really excited for today's guest, a guy I've been wanting to ask for a while, but his schedule has kept him pretty busy here. So uh, happy he's made a little time for us today. The voice of the Ottawa Senators, Dean Brown, is here. How's it going, Dean? Doing well, Matt. How about you? Uh, not too bad at all. Um, really appreciate you making a little time. What have you been keeping yourself busy with here the last little bit? You know what? Uh, just like everybody else, we haven't been doing very much, uh, you know, around the yard doing stuff, not going anywhere, you know, just trying to kind of, trying to stay home, stay away from people. Uh, <laughs> You know, even though we're double vaxxed, we just uh, kind of keep our distance. And so, you know, just stuff around the house and mowing the lawn and boring stuff. But, you know, I like mowing <laughs> lawns, so it's been fun. Um, one of the things that we typically do around here, and, and, you know, some people are into it, some people aren't. But uh, my my listeners insist that I ask, are you much of a craft beer guy? Is that your scene at all? Are there anybody? Uh, any- yeah, well, you know what? Uh, yes and no. But okay. the, the yes is a very small yes. I'm kind of like Bob McKenzie. Bob and I are kind of the same, where it's not like we will refuse a beer. Right. But I'm just not a big beer guy. Okay. So, like, for me, like, the craft stuff that I like, the craft stuff that I uh, I drink is I... Uh, Kitchisippi stuff is kind of my favorite. Oh, I like yeah. the Kitchisippi stuff. I like the big rig stuff. And I like Bose beer stuff. Right. You know, so so those ones which are, you know, pretty pretty common. I'm to be honest with you, I'm more a when I come in from mowing the lawn, I'll have a, a you know, a red stripe or uh, you know, okay. or, a, or a corona, which I know in the craft beer world is like <laughs> It's, it's like dragon juice, you know what I mean? But to be honest with you, I, you know, Bob McKenzie, he's more of a margarita wine guy. Yeah. I'm more of a uh, gin and tonic, Jack Daniels, red wine guy. Okay. So, um, yeah. I, and, and to be honest with you, in the hockey world, uh, guys like Bob and I are rather rare because almost everybody in the hockey world is kind of a beer guy. Now, whether a craft beer guy or not sure. is, is a different thing. But uh, Well, you're... 
I've found the same thing. Bob's been on the show, and uh, he gave us a, a wine recommendation yeah, or so, two. Yeah. Is there anything uh, you got a favorite you might want to tell the audience about? Um, in beer or in in wine and in, in, in whiskey, whatever you uh, might be. In your... wine, I'm not a wine connoisseur. Basically, I like the stuff that people I know who are wine connoisseurs <laughs> tell me to buy, and then I buy it, and I go, "Wow, that's great!" Right. Um, as far as gin goes, there's a gin actually that is uh, made out in Eastern Canada called Steinhauer Gin. Okay. And it uh, in 2017 won the best gin in the world. And wow. Yeah, it's fantastic. Friends of mine, uh, Kevin uh, Kevin Haim actually gave us some of it. It comes in a blue bottle and uh, they were out at Cabot, the golf course out there. Yep, yep. And uh, Steinauer actually bottles it for Cabot where it's actually in the same blue bottle but it's 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 named Cabot Gin, It, but it's the Steinauer Gin. Hmm. And if you're a gin person, it's outstanding. Okay. It's, it's really good. And for craft beer, to be honest with you, if I'm having a craft beer, it's it's usually a Kitchissippi and it's usually Hell or High Water. That's okay. kind of, of all the stuff they make, that's yeah. the stuff. I'm not really, since I'm really not a, a big beer guy to begin with, I, I don't like the heavy beers. And with the craft beers, I don't like the fruity beers. I like just a really light, okay. easy drinking beer. And so I, I guess that's why Hell or High Water is probably my favorite of the Kitchissippi stuff. It is a nice beer for sure. Um you Tragically Hip fan by chance? Yes. Uh, I'm going to send you home with something here. They've just released a beer of their own working with oh, really? uh, Big Rock, a lager. We got some of them out in the fridge there. I'm going to send you home with one I'll to try that. after a, a, a nice that. cutting of the grass or something. It's, it's just a lager, right? Nice, light, golden, mm-hmm. perfect. So uh, we'll hook you up with one of those. I'll um, take it. All right. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about kind of the early part of your career? How do you get started in the uh, in the media business? Um, well, you know what? To be honest with you, Matt, like... Um, when I, you know, because lots of young broadcasters uh, send me send me audio and stuff and ask me to critique it for them and ask, you know, how'd you how'd you get started? And I tell them you can't really you can't really mold your entry into the business the way I did because the business is so different yeah. now. And to be honest with you, my career has just been largely um, a series of really good luck. Like hmm. I've I've never applied for a job ever, not even my first one, uh, you know? Wow. So, um, when I was younger in Manitoba, uh, I, I never, I never planned on being a broadcaster. It wasn't like I was, you know, in high school going one day, I hope to be a broadcaster. I was like so many other kids. I had no, no idea what I was going to be doing. I, I, I lived in a farming community. So even though my father was a pilot, um, I always grew up in a, in a farming community. So I started working for farmers, actually the one that lived right next to us, Jim Riddell. Hmm. I started working on farms when I was 12. Wow. So I, I think I always kind of thought that I would be, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, didn't, I didn't know what I'd be, a laborer, a sure. farmer. Uh, you know, I, I worked at Dominion stores in the produce department, you know, like a lot of kids coming up. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, ironically enough, I got interviewed after, I played junior football out west um, uh, when I was growing up. And I got interviewed after a game. Um, by a guy by the name of Ron Hodge. Hmm. Uh, well, I was his on-air name. It turned, I didn't know this, but it turns out his real name was Ron DeCock. Okay. He changed it. Because back in those days, lots of times your boss sure. would change your name. If they didn't like your name, yes. they would change your name for you. <laughs> anyway, so he interviewed me after a game that I had played in. And um, he said, you ever thought about being in broadcasting? And I said, well, no, not, no, not really. He said, well, you know, just yeah, you, you seem to talk well. And, you know, he yeah. says, have you ever – so anyway um, – the next year, uh, the next season, he interviewed me again, and I didn't have a summer job at the time. So he said, if you want, you know, I can line it up, come into the radio station, and, uh, you know, we'll have a chat. So I, I literally went into You're right. That's nothing like the business yeah, now, yeah, where exactly, people are yeah. falling over each other I to know, find I, those. Yeah, no, it's very different. I was, <laughs> And yet, to be honest with you, I had no clue how lucky I was. Right. I, had, I had no, because he just, 
asked me if I was, yeah, sure. So I, I literally went into the radio station. At that time, it was CFRW in Winnipeg. Okay. Um, and they gave me some BN wire copy to read. I went into a studio, read it. They recorded it. And then Ron Hodge said, just uh, wait over there. And uh, he went into the news director. I didn't know he was going to see him. His name was uh, Stone, Brian mm-hmm. Stone. And they came out 20 minutes later and asked me if I wanted a job. Wow. So I think that was like a Thursday. And I started Sunday night. <laughs> doing overnight news on CFRW in Winnipeg. Wow. That was the beginning. And I was I was only there for two and a half months, uh, and I got offered a job in London, Ontario. Um, the news director there, Al Gibson, had heard me because he was from Winnipeg, so he was back on vacation, <clears throat> and he was looking for a young guy, which in that t- at that time, still to this day, means a cheap guy. Yes. And uh, offered me a job in London, Ontario, doing doing news. So, what and, year roughly are we talking here? Uh, that would have been in. Uh, well, I got to Ottawa in '84, so that would have been 1980. Okay, yeah. 1980. And uh, then, uh, so I took the job, and I didn't know anybody in London. I'd never been to London, <laughs> and I, you know, uh, but I took the job because uh, the job at CFRW was paying me a whopping seven hundred and fifty dollars a month. And the job he offered me in London was twice that much. Oh, nice. $1,480 yeah. a month. So um, I packed up my Honda Civic and I drove to London and I started uh, I started there doing news. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I wanted to be a news anchor. I mm-hmm. thought that, you know, now that I was doing it, it was lots of fun. I enjoyed it. And I got into sports the last year. I was in London for two and a half years. I got into sports the last year I was in London uh, because the guy who was the sports director, which was a kind of a ridiculous term because the sports department was him. It's like it's one, it was one guy. You know? Director so, of one. Yeah, yeah, but I guess you had to, in the professional manuals, you had to have the name of the news director, the general manager, sure. the music director. So you had to have the sports director. So you were the sports director of the whole department. You, right. were, the, you were it. Anyway, <laughs> the guy who was the sports director, his name was Rick Mueller. And he decided, well, he was going on uh, taking a sabbatical for six months and he was going to India. I think he was going to India. Uh, and anyway, so uh, Al Gibson, the news director, called me in and said, listen, um, we need you to fill in on sports for six months because of all the people we have here. You're the guy that knows the most about sports. Right. So, and I said, yeah, sure. You're my boss. If you tell me I'm reading sports, yeah. I'm reading sports. So I was reading the sports for six so months. So for six months, were you the sports director I, too? <laughs> well, I didn't, I didn't get the title, <laughs> okay. but, uh, you know, I was the fill-in sports. Sure. I was the fill-in guy, so I guess I was the fill-in sports director. Right. Although that meant virtually nothing. <laughs> Um, so after six months, um, uh, Rick Mueller called back uh, to Al Gibson and said, I've found myself, I've shed myself of all worldly possessions. I now wear robes and, wow. and like, and said, I'm not coming back to North America. I've, I'm, you know, so I was, oh, okay. So Al Gibson called me in and said, um, do you want to be the sports director? Do you want the job full time? I said, yeah, this is kind of fun. I get free passes to go to the hockey games, the London sure. Knights. I get to go to stuff. It was great. So, um. So that's how I became the sports director. Hmm. And then I did that for a year or maybe less. And I got uh, two job offers in the same week. One was to go to... the luckiest guy. I know, I know, I know. I know, know, it's ridiculous. (laughs) I know, and I feel bad about it sometimes. (laughs) Because my son, you know, when he was was going through school and everything, and he's trying to write a resume and stuff, and he's asking me, and he says, well, can you help me write a resume? I said, well, I've never had one. (laughs) I've never applied for a job. And he's just, he's making a face like, why don't you just shut (laughs) up, Dad? So um, I uh, get two job offers, virtually I think it was the same week, 10-day period. One of them was from CKLW, the Big 8 in Windsor. Mm. Uh, they had at that time the USFL rights. Okay, yeah. So they want a young guy, cheap, of course. Yeah. Young guy yeah. means cheap, um, who knows something about football. 
that they can put on the air. So I was a young guy, cheap, and I had played football at a, at a decent level. So, you know, so they offered me a job. At the same time, I got offered a job at CFRW in Ottawa. Hmm. Sorry, CFRA in Ottawa. Uh, because Ernie Calcutt had passed away. They, he was the sports director and the voice of the Ottawa Rough Riders. They had brought John Badham in to replace him. And Shribes, Dave Schreiber, had quit to go to CKBY. So they, they elevated Jeff Courier. And they needed a young guy, quote-unquote cheap guy. Okay. So um, I went down to Windsor and had a look around and everything. And then uh, CFRA flew me into Ottawa for the weekend. But like, I already knew about Ottawa because my dad uh, kind of grew up around, kind of around there in Port Hope. And then my uncle lived here. Both my uncles lived here at the same time. So, hmm. And I had been to Ottawa. And a friend of mine, Dean Roberts, who was a disc jockey, we had worked together in London. Um, so anyway, I just... I just preferred the vibe, yep. to be honest with you. I just, I just liked the feel of it. And uh, turns out, uh, I don't know, a month and a half, two months later, um, the USFL folded. Yeah. And CKLW in Windsor went from being an information and sports station to a music of your life station with no employees. So had I taken that wow. job, I would have been out of a job. Yeah. And so I, I got to Ottawa, and when I started working at uh, CFRA, I did three days a week sports reporting, and then on Saturday and Sunday, I was on the air, because on Saturday and Sunday, they had full-time sports on the weekends. Okay. And the big show back then was noon on Saturday and noon on Sunday, the Paris Taylor's Sports Special, hmm. which was uh, basically a 15-minute sportscast, which was, in those days, a lot of airtime to devote to sports. Sure. And I did the pregame the halftime and the post-game shows on our football broadcast. The old Rough Riders. The old Rough Riders. And then, lucky for me, Jeff uh, Jeff Courier, who was doing the color on the broadcast, the number two guy, he took a job the next year in Regina to be the voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So they moved me up to do color with John Badham. And then the next year after that, John Badham took a job in Toronto to be the voice of the Argos. So at 23, 24, however old I was at that point, um, I was the morning sports voice, the sports director, and the voice of the Ottawa Rough Riders. Wow. So this all, all, all without ever applying for any of these <laughs> jobs. So again, it's uh, I've just been unbelievably lucky over and over. Just a wild yeah, it story. Is. Yeah, over and over. Well, it was, and you know, it was the same thing. Uh, for hockey, when the Senators came and, and the station had the broadcast rights, um, Gordon and I uh, went to Montreal and uh, just basically did some play-by-play into a tape recorder because they were running the job, they, they were running it like they wanted to run it like a normal application process, which meant even though Gordon and I worked for the station, mm-hmm. we had to apply. Okay. You know? Um, so we basically handed in our, our cassette tapes of, you know, of, of our broadcast of us doing it. So this is like, you guys went down and bought tickets? No, no. Oh, they, okay. uh, they sent, the, the station worked it out that the, they could get us some space okay. up in the press box and yeah. basically we weren't doing it live on the air. We were just recording yes. it into a tape. Yeah. But, you know, even going there, this had all been arranged. We didn't just, you know, they don't just give you a booth when we no. got there. In the old Montreal form, there were no... Uh, broadcast booths. It was like this long table that were separated with plexiglass. So mm. your broadcast was, so we get up there and we're way, way early because we're just, we're young and stupid and yeah. we're just scared and just, you know. And so uh, it's it's like, I don't know, 45 minutes to game time and all the other broadcasters are starting to, so right, li- li- literally right beside us, right beside us is Dick Irvin. Oh, wow. And so we're sitting there and we're going, don't look at him because we don't want to look at him. <laughs> and, he, and he peeks around the glass, he says, hey, you're the guys from Ottawa. I said, yeah, Dean Brown, go 
Gord Wilson. Nice to meet you. Yeah, I'm Dick Urban. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we know. Yeah, we know who you are. He said, listen, guys, great to see you guys here. Great to see you guys getting a start. If there's anything I can help you with, just knock on the glass, let me know. And he really? said, uh, he slides a piece of paper over. He says, uh, here's my home phone, because there was no cell phones. Yeah. Here's my home phone number if you guys have any wow. questions or stuff and you need any help. He was just... Such a nice man, and he knew he could tell that we were just young and stupid and scared and, you know, all that stuff. Sure. No experience doing this at all. And anyway, so yeah. we did the game, and I had, I had never done a game of hockey ever. I had never broadcast a game. Hmm. I didn't have, I didn't have <clears throat> you know, years of junior hockey or anything. I had no experience doing hockey whatsoever. So um, we ended up both getting the jobs, and later, years later, Don Holpe, um, who was the vice president and general manager of the radio station, said to me, he said, you know, Dean, he said, basically it was up to you. If you want to stay doing football, we'd let you stay doing football. But if you want to do hockey, but we had to do the process. Like You, you couldn't know. have just told me at the but time. I, I, yeah. I'm thinking to myself, well, then why didn't you just do that? Yeah. Why, you know, like, why didn't you just, you know, let us, you know, instead of making us walk the tightrope. But, I, you know, I, I understand the station wanted to, you know, have an open sure. audition kind of thing for it. And that's, and that's how... That's how I started, you know, doing doing hockey. And so when I started doing hockey, because when I was when I was when I was still doing football in the morning show, I was also doing um, a little bit of TV because um, uh, a guy named John Shannon, who eventually became the uh, the executive producer yeah. of Hockey Night in Canada, he was running a thing called the CFN Canadian Football Network, mm-hmm. which well, that was when the league started to think about. Uh, doing its own TV. Right. And so they had their own broadcast. And so they hired me just to be the mic holder in Ottawa. I was never on any of the broadcasts, but I did all the interviews and stuff during the week that they would use in the production. Right. And then later on, when TSN wanted to change who the reporter was in Ottawa, um, I did that for a couple of years because, again, they just needed a guy to do stories. And my boss at the radio station uh, didn't care. So when I got the hockey job, um, that's when I had to... Uh, quit TSN. And so that's basically, that's when the reporter job became open. And right. I forget who got it originally, who they hired originally, but they went through uh, three or four guys before they kind of got Brent Wallace, who was there for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then I've, I've been doing hockey ever since. And um, I got into TV because they asked me if I could do some, uh, at the, when it was at the new RO, uh, they asked and my bosses on radio said, yeah, sure. We'll, you know, we can have Shribe sit in and do games. So I started doing some TV and then, um, what year was it? 1998. I think it was the same year my son was born. I got a call from John Shannon, right. who was the executive producer of Hockey Night County. He said, Dino, and we've known each other for years. He goes, Dino, um, why is it you're not working for me? And I said, well, <clears throat> John, um, you've never asked me to work for you. He said, and that's well, the only way I get jobs is people yeah, approaching yeah, me. Yeah, people, yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, uh, he said, well, do you want to work for me? I said, well, I would have to ask. I said, unless you're offering me a full-time job. He said, I don't have a full-time yeah. job for you, Dean, but we need another guy to do games. Right. And he said, all of our guys are freelance guys except for one guy. You know, uh, And that, at that time, that was Mark Lee. He was a CBC staff guy, but everybody else was basically freelance. Okay. <clears throat> so I asked Even my like boss. Bob Cole, those guys, they're... Bob Cole, though, uh, uh, during, in, in that time period... In that time period, it was an interesting thing. None of those guys actually worked for CBC. Really? Because CBC contracted out to Molson. Right, okay. To produce Mol a game. Or so, Molstar so, or something. So, yeah, so yeah. Molson created this production company called uh, Molstar. Yes. And they produced the games for Hockey Night Canada. Right. So all of us actually got paid by Molstar, not by CBC. 
Ever in beer? Or? Uh, and he, well, you know, back in those days when they were legally allowed to give away beer, yeah. basically as much beer as you wanted. If okay. you wanted them to back up a pallet a week, they would. Because for them, the beer's free, you know? Sure. So, and back in those, they different have different business. laws now yeah. than, they, than yes. they did back then. So now the beer guys aren't allowed to do that. Like, yeah. you know, if a beer guy wants to buy you a beer, he's got to give you a coupon to yes. get a beer because they got to account for it all. The right. Time. Back in those days, if, you know, if I said, I'm having a party, I need a, a pallet of beer, they would just say, which stall of your garage do you want to drop <laughs> off? They didn't, they didn't care, really. They honestly didn't care. <clears throat> so um, I, my first game I did, uh, John called me again. It was a Thursday and uh, the following Saturday. So two days later, I did a game. And my first game in Montreal I did was uh, Montreal and Calgary. And it was me, and I had there was two color guys. Uh, Dick Irvin was one of them, and wow. John Davidson was the other one. And Scott Oak was the. It's uh, a star-studded team. Oh yeah, and I was just crapping my <laughs> pants. It was you know, it just it was just. But anyway, that's how that started, and then I ended up working for Hockey Night uh, for fifteen years. Yeah. Uh, while, I was, while I was still doing radio, you know. And there was some Sportsnet East in there, I guess, for yep. the Senators regionally at one yep. point. I did the Sportsnet for I don't know. All of that time, I think twelve of those. I don't know how many years that was. So, right, I was there was there was a time where I I was never off totally off radio, but at that time the bosses of the radio station liked the fact that I was doing network TV. They 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 thought sure. it brought they thought it brought exposure yep. and and something positive to the radio station. So um, I had it in my contract. I think at, at one time, I think I had in my contract that I could miss up to sixty games. Um, <laughs> Without penalty. Wow. <clears throat> so, you know, there, there, I, I think the, the lowest year that I ever did, I only did 22 radio games mm. and the rest were all on, on television. Mm. And then everything changed when the rights of course. changed and I had to make a choice whether I was going to stay at, uh, at Hockey Night in Canada and work for Rogers or, uh, you know, do all radio and work for TSN. So, Can I ask you what goes into that decision, why you made the one you um, did? Well, well, you know, first of all, I was, uh, you know, I, it's not lost on me that I was extremely fortunate um, because I'm sure as you're aware in our business, it's not often that you get a choice. Right. And so I was in the very fortunate position that I, I got a choice. Um, what Rogers offered me was to continue doing regional games, but not Ottawa games because they didn't have the regional rights. Right. TSN had them. So I was going to be, I would have done the Montreal games mm-hmm. and then Saturday nights on Hockey Night in Canada. Right. And so, and radio basically was saying, you would, we want you to do every game and yeah. we want to be able yeah. to control your schedule so that we have control over what you do. And we want you to do nothing but radio games. Right. And to be honest with you, the, the biggest single reason why I chose radio, um, was lifestyle. Yeah. You know, I had two kids in school and with my, my home games being in Montreal, cause I'm doing the Montreal yeah, package. Yeah, a ton of travel. The, well, the first mock schedule that I got where, and it wasn't set in stone, but the mock schedule. I had only three games in Ottawa. Right. All of my games were either on the road with Montreal or in Montreal. Yes. Or the Hockey Night games I had on Saturday were all in different cities because most of the Hockey Night games in Ottawa that year were between Toronto and Montreal, Toronto and Ottawa or Montreal and Ottawa. Right. Which are, those are all national A games. Mm -hmm. And so that would be Jim Houston or, you know, or at that time still Coley was doing it. Mm -hmm. So even the games in Ottawa, I would only be doing three games in Ottawa. So like I said, I still had kids in school and it was, you know, it was just one of those things. Can I live with almost never being at home? Right. And, um, uh, I was fortunate that, uh, you know, uh, 
choosing one over the other didn't really sting me monetarily. Mm-hmm. So I took the one that was best for my lifestyle, sure. which was working full time in radio, and it's been great. It was, uh, it's been it's been really really good, and. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that I never had second thoughts. Well, did I make the right decision? Because you're wondering for the first little while, you know. Because one of the other things too is that I think I think it's normal that anybody thinks that if you if you left TV to go to radio, it's because you were fired. Right. Because nobody picks radio over TV. Well, that isn't that isn't necessarily the case. You know, yeah. Ian Mendez did the same yep. thing. There, there's there's a few of us who have done it, but it has to be it has to be the right situation. Sure. And I was fortunate enough to have a choice. Yep. Which you know, like I said, I'm very grateful for because I you know, I realize that uh, you know a lot of times we don't get a choice. Uh, tell me a little bit about your time covering the Rough Riders, and while you're here, it's kind of a you know the franchise didn't meet a great end. It had its yeah. its struggles. Uh, what was your time like doing that? I loved it. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I worked with uh, Harry Dunlap. He was our stats guy, and uh, Jeff Avery, and uh, he did color, and it was great. I had a great time. Loved it. I, you know, growing up in Manitoba, I grew up on hockey and football. Right. You know, I, I grew up on, you know, um, that was that was kind of the staple in my life, and uh, I enjoy. I played I played football, played hockey at uh, decent levels, and um, you know, it was just one of those things where. Um, I never lost touch with the league, so when I started doing games, um, you know, I'd already been doing sidelines and stuff, so I was up to speed. So it wasn't a difficult walk into it. You weren't having to learn on the fly. Um, and so I, I loved it. It was, it was great hanging around the field every day and talking to players. And, there, and for me, that was, that was uh, um, in some ways easy because there were guys on different teams that I played with. Right. So, you know, almost any team that rolled into town – you know, I either knew a guy or mm-hmm. played with a guy. You know, I, I knew a guy because I played against him, or he knew a fr- he played with a friend of mine somewhere, or I played. You know, so there was always there was always on every team there was a connection that I had to starting a conversation with guys. So it was always kind of fun to go to the field every day for practice, or when teams were rolling into town, or when we were in another town. You know, meeting up with guys that I knew or I'd played with, and uh, I, I loved it. It was it was great. I I didn't I didn't leave. I didn't leave CFL football to do NHL hockey because I didn't like the football or right. didn't like the life. It was it was fantastic. It's just when you get a chance to do NHL hockey, um, you don't you don't generally pass that up because sure. you know that's a if you're a Canadian kid that loves sports that's that's a dream job and I can tell you it is a dream job. I uh, I can remember quite a while ago. See, it's cool to see how passionate you still are about it because. I don't want to age you at all here, but we're probably going back 15 years now. I'm 59, so you can age me. I'm not shy about it. (laughs) There was a a special on the NA, there was a series on the NHL network called like NHL Voices. Oh yeah, I remember that. And yeah, you were one of the the episodes. And at the time you were still talking about how great it was to be doing it and and to see now how, you know, how into it you still are. But is it, is the CFL still a passion for you? Yeah, we yeah. watch, you know, tonight, yeah. uh, I'm not sure when this is airing, but yeah. t- tonight is the season opener when we're recording this. And so um, I'm juiced up about that. Yeah. I, you know, I uh, now I now I watch it more as a fan, mm-hmm. which to be honest with you is, is rare for me because it's very hard to make my brain see things in a non-broadcaster way. Sure. Um, and I still kind of watch it that way, but I... I uh, I don't do it for work. I, I watch it and listen to it because I love it. You know, like I, uh, out driving around listening to AJ and Jeff call a game is magic. I, I just, I love it. They, they get you right into the game. You don't feel like you're missing anything. Right. And then sometimes we're coming, you know, run inside and you watch the last quarter or whatever on, on the TV. But it's, uh, 
I, st- I still love it to this day. Love the game. Love the style of the game. Uh, and I know this isn't popular, but I actually prefer the style of game to the NFL. Hey, I'm with you there. You know, uh, and I'm not saying there's not good NFL games. No, there of are, course but, there are. But I'm a casual NFL fan at yeah. best. I'm a hardcore CFL yeah, I'm, fan. Yeah, I'm kind yeah. of the same way. Yeah. I'm kind of the same. because you know, like the NFL. You know, there's so many games. If you're clicking around on a Sunday, you're always going to find one or two yep. great games. But there's also 12 stinkers. Yes. <laughs> there's there's very few CFL games that aren't entertaining. Yep. You know, they're you know, a 20-point tw- lead in the fourth quarter in an NFL game, you know, find the TV clicker. Yeah, that's over. over. In the CFL, that's not over. Yeah. That's not that's not <laughs> over at all, you know. So, I kind of uh, you know, you've kind of always had had that debate where, you know, People say, well, the superior athletes are in the NFL. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. In some cases. Yeah. I've, I've seen over the course of my life, both covering the league and watching the league, a lot of NFL stars come up here and not be impact players in yeah. this league because it's a different game. And the skills and the athleticism that work for you in the NFL, uh, they may or may not work for you here. So right. that's not an automatic. I, I, to be honest with you, with the athletes they have access to in the NFL, uh, I would love to see the NFL be a three-down game. I just think it's a more exciting game. You're forced to put the ball yes. in the air. You're forced to create excitement. You, you know, you can't plod your way through an afternoon, you know, with a really good line and three a good yards tailback. in a cloud of yeah, dust. Three right? yards, <laughs> three yards, four, throw for four. Yeah, I'm not saying there's not great games. You know, I, I watch the NFL, but I'm like you. I'm I'm a CFL first guy. I just find the product more entertaining. I do too, for sure. Uh, you mentioned there a minute ago. This idea of watching the game more as uh, a fan than as a broadcaster. Can you yeah. kind of take us into the difference between the two? <clears throat> well, I, I think for I think for a fan, as they should be, uh, fan is short for fanatic. Yeah, it's it's an emotional response. Your connection to the team, um, whatever team or the sport or the game or the player, whichever whichever it is, is an emotional one. You know, you watch it because it, it's it's fun. It, it's something that you enjoy. It's an emotion. As a broadcaster. Um, I'm really not a fan of any team. I don't follow any teams as a fan. Right. You know, um, when I'm when I'm doing a game, no matter what the game is, um, I'm calling the game. What happens, I say. And um, it really, it really is to me. It's you know, uh, it's kind of like uh, being a surgeon. You know, in, in the sense that I'm not saying that doing play-by-play <laughs> of sports is anything like having the education and the expertise to save someone's sure. life. But you know, I've talked. I've talked to doctors and I've talked to surgeons and it's remarkable the things we say, you know, like when they're, there's, there's a reason why doctors, surgeons aren't allowed to operate on their own family members because then they would become emotional. Yes. And so for a surgeon, you have a job, there's a pathway to do it. This is how you do it. If you encounter this, then you solve that problem, move on to the next. And doing play-by-play in sports is very similar to that. You know, you can't predict what's going to happen. And basically you go about trying to break it down as what's happening right now and put it in context without losing pace of where you are in the game. Right. And, um, you know, the other thing too is that uh, I think that sometimes people, and it's a, it's a very subtle kind of behind the velvet rope perspective on it. But like when I'm talking to young broadcasters, I ask them, what do you think this job is? Like doing play-by-play, what do you think the job is? And they always say a version of the same thing. They say, well, your job is to uh, as accurately and poignantly as possible describe exactly the action that's on the ice of the field at any given time. I say, no. 
So that's not true at all. That's not what the job is. In radio, the job is to broadcast a game in a way that makes no one reach for the button to turn to another channel. In TV, it's the same thing. You've got pictures to help you, but it's to broadcast the game huh. in a manner where people aren't going to go for the clicker because they're bored. First and foremost, we are entertainment. This is not science. This right. is not politics. This is not empirical. You have to have fans emotionally involved in the game. They are fans because of emotion. So the way you call the game has to be entertaining. Right. And that doesn't mean you make things up or you, you know, but that means that you can't just plod along. Uh, like I, I try to tell young guys, just saying what's happening isn't enough. You have to be able to bring the emotion of the game to them, yeah. you know, because that's how they connect with the game. The emotion connects them. It's it's not how good the right winger's pass is on the back end. It's, you know, it's it's an emotional response. So you have to broadcast in a way which they can feel the emotion in you because you're translating that for the game. And I think that's why sometimes people get confused because they they think that you're emotional in the way they are, like. I'm emotional because it's a great play. Sure. No matter who does it, you know. Right. Like I've had people come and say, "What are you getting so excited for when the opposition scores?" Um, first of all, I, I'm not on the team, so I didn't get scored against. <laughs> and and a great play is a great play. Well, you can look around this room. I'm a Leaf guy, yeah, right? Yeah. Your call of Austin Matthews four goal night is every bit as like. That holds you as if something incredible is yeah, happening yeah. here. Yeah. My listeners don't like this guy or that it, like that yeah. it's happening to our team, but this is unheard of, yeah, right? And I absolutely. have to convey that. Yeah, it, it's, well, it, it's either a great play or it isn't, and sure. whatever the color of jersey is irrelevant. Yeah. Like I have, I have friends who are Leaf fans, and yeah. they, they go, "Come on, you hate the Leafs." You're an guy. <laughs> I try, to, I try to tell them, I don't love the Leafs or hate the Leafs. It's like Minnesota to me or Florida. It's just another team. Right. And so when I tell you, when you ask me what I think about something about the Leafs, and I give you my answer. Stop thinking that it's based on me not liking the Leafs. It's based on what I believe. If you don't want to hear what I believe, don't ask me. But if right. I tell you, it's not because I love your team or hate your team or want them to win. Or I don't. I don't care at all about that. At at all. And but if we circle just, back to the idea of you having to hold a viewer or a listener, yes, do you have to almost reflect the fact back to them that they, you maybe don't care about the Leafs, but they don't like the Leafs. Like, is there an element of? I, I can't, you know, the funny, the funny thing is, I've had this happen more than once, but uh, I remember once, and, and again, I, I tell this when I'm talking to kids, I, I got a bunch of texts and tweets and stuff when Chris Phillips was still playing. Right. And he made a bad mistake in the corner. It ended up being a goal. Mm -hmm. And so I get communications from fans after the game. And same play, same guy, same play, same broadcast. And I get half of them are, Brown, you bootlicking homer. <laughs> like, how how much more can you suck up, you weasel? Like, for God's sakes. Like, yeah. you, you can't see what really happened. And the other half were, why are you so hard on the home team? Right. Why are you trying to crucify Chris Phillips? He's a great guy. He's an Ottawa guy. What are you doing? Yeah. And that's based on the same play. Yep. And what you have to understand is, for a fan, they see it through their lens and their lens only. And so... First of all, if they don't like me as a broadcaster sure. or they don't like Ottawa, anything I say they are critical of. Yep. And it goes the other way as well. If they're a big Ottawa fan and I say anything negative, then why am I being so hard on the home team? But it's their lens, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Like, they don't hurt my feelings. Because I know I know, I did my job in describing that properly. Right. If half of them hate it and half of them love it, that, that tells you that, that I made the right call. But all you're ever trying to do, really, is you're just trying to say what you see. And like I, I've had people say, well, why are you getting all wound up and all excited for a goal in a 6-2 game? 
because the job is play by play, yep. not period by period or game <laughs> by game or series by series. Yep. And so if there's a great goal scored in a 6-2 game, it's still a great goal. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I was taught. That's the way I'll do it. And that's the way I'm wired to do it. That's just the way I do it. You know? The other day we saw the Canadian women's soccer team bring home the gold medal. And I had to catch most of that game on radio. And TSN 1200 here in town had picked it up. And there was a guy obviously going across the TSN network. I don't know if you're too familiar with him. Or not. His name's Gareth Wheeler. Don't know. Yeah. And um, he was fantastic. And part of it was, as you kind of mentioned, you know, pushing it back to the listener, right? Holding their interest. I'm not a soccer guy. This is the first full soccer game I've paid attention to. And I couldn't tell you how long, but he had me riveted and we get to, to penalty kicks and stuff. And I'm, I'm hanging. And at this point I'm back, I've walked in the door. I'm back in my kitchen. I could go over and turn the TV on, but he's He's doing such, he's, he was, he was so into it as much as I was, and, and he was probably amplifying my my interest, right? On a mm-hmm. sport that I barely care about. It, yeah. It's interesting to I'm see the that, same way, yeah. that that you can hold somebody with just your, and I, I know Nigel Reed, who does the, mm-hmm. the TV play-by-play. He's very good at his job, but for whatever reason on that day, I wanted to stick with with Gareth Wheeler and he, he just was reflecting back everything I was feeling in that moment, or maybe subconsciously and I don't even know he's pushed it to me like yeah. that I yeah for <laughs> you, sure you care about this more than you think yeah, you do for sure and and sometimes you know in, in a game like that that part of our job is easy because the game brings that to you and all you have to do is be able to transmit that emotion to the fans and and they pick up obviously the importance of it mm-hmm. you know but there's there's other sides to the coin like you know sometimes Gordon and I uh, get criticized for wandering off during games and talking about things that are not particularly connected to the play-by-play where you're goofing around I can tell you that, number one, that's just the way our personalities are, so it's right. not made up. But the other thing is, uh, to be totally frank with you, and again, you know, get behind the velvet curtain, uh, not every NHL game is exciting. <laughs> no, and, and, our, and our job is to keep people listening. So yes. if the game isn't entertaining, uh, you know, Dan Kelly told me once, if, if the game isn't entertaining, you better be. Right. And so, you know, if you wonder why Dean and Gord are off talking about, uh, you know, Lay's potato chips in the second period of a game, well, it's a 1-1 game in New Jersey in February and not much has happened. Right. So, you know, sometimes we will wander off, but it's not because we don't care about the game. The, the, interesting, the interesting thing is that, you know, like everything else in broadcasting, it has been studied to the nth degree. Yeah. And by and large, the, 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 the guys, because it's almost always guys, who complain, you know, call, call the boss and go, you, your two hockey guys are off talking like, why they should be talking about hockey and nothing about hockey. You know, that, that 5% of the hardcore in any sport, yep. hockey, football, that, that 5%, number one, is the most vocal 5%. Mm-hmm. But number two, they don't even really know how they consume it. You know, they consider themselves to be the, the five, the, they don't consider themselves to be the 5%, but they consider themselves to be hardcore. Right. And it's important. Everything should be, shouldn't be messing around. And there have been studies done and focus groups done. And there was one done uh, years ago, actually, when the station was just starting. This was a focus group that was done um, for WFAN in New York. And they took, they took a group of guys who all said that they were the hardcore guys. You know, they just, this is what I am. And they put them in a room and they put a game on. And then they just recorded the game. And these are the guys who don't want any screwing around with the game. The game is the game is the game. Yes. And when you play, and they don't realize, when they play back the tape of what these guys actually talk about, they prove the point that you have to be able to make people understand the big picture of what happens, not just the hardcore sports. Because these guys in a room, 
when they start, they start talking about the game. And this guy and the quarterback and this and that guy, the receiver, this guy drafted. You see this guy in the pool and he bench pressed him. And then uh, what, you got a new car, didn't you? And then, yeah, and then the fullback was going to play that. What, did you get a warranty with that car? Like, did you buy the factory? <laughs> yeah, well, well, you guys are moving. What kind of mortgage rate do you right. And all those things enter into their conversation and they don't even realize it. No. But when you do that on the air, they think you're betraying the, the oath of being a, a play-by-play crew and talking about the sport and nothing but the sport. The reality is that even the hardcore guys talk about a whole range of things that revolve around their life, including sports. So I I think the thing to remember is, and I tell young broadcasters this when they ask me, number one, be yourself. People are very, very savvy now about the media Mm -hmm. and they can can smell a phony a mile away. So whatever you are, be that. Don't try and be... You know, a model, a made-up version of your three favorite play-by-play guys, and you try to emulate them. Just be you. Yeah. Well, you and Gord have been doing this for so long now. Like half the reason for people to listen is that's how I consume my senators. Right? Yeah. Is is Dean Brown and Gord Wilson? I want to hear their particular banter or their approach to it, or you know, and like you say, some the Panthers on a Wednesday night in January is not that. Yeah. Interesting, and, and so some, maybe and, something interesting happened in yeah. Dean's world today. Yeah, uh, and and some people hate that and yeah. won't listen to us. Yeah. And but fortunately for us, over the long term, uh, there's a far larger group of people that get us and listen a lot, and that that has created some good job security for Gordon and I uh, in a business where there's not a lot of job security, and we're very fortunate. And and I believe part of it is because. People over the years have come to understand that that's not an act. That's right. how we are, who we are. When they meet us in real life, that's the way we are. And, you know, it's funny when people come up to you and say, do your radio voice. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't have, I don't have a radio. I just have this voice. It's the only one I have. It's just, you know, like, well, like the way, the way you call the games do that is, well, this, it's the same voice. Yeah. I don't, you know. And it just, it, it's, it's just interesting oftentimes what people's perspective is. And, and I also, uh, I, I tell young young broadcasters, don't be concerned when people go after you on Twitter or Instagram or on social media. There is always, even with the very best guys in this business, even with the very best guys, there's always going to be people that don't like you, don't like the go, the way you go about doing it. Yep. The only thing that matters ultimately, does your boss like the way you're doing it? Sure. And if he or she does, then keep doing it that way. You referenced, and, and I'll be honest with you, Dean, because <clears throat> you've been a bit of a, a conflict for me over the years as a Leaf guy, mm-hmm. and yet one of my favorite play-by-play guys calling Sens games. That's yep. that's rough on me. But I used to get really excited every now and then. You you referenced the, all the years you put in at Hockey Night in Canada, and there'd be a playoff series, and I, you know I, I wouldn't necessarily be expecting it. I'd turn on I don't, Blues Jets mm-hmm. or something on a Saturday, and there's Dean. I'm like, oh, cool. Like This is at least going to be a... I don't necessarily care about this game, but it's going to be yeah. called by somebody who calls a game I, I like to hear, right? What is, you know, you referenced your approach when you do regional games is still to to just tell you what's happening. Is there any difference between how you would call a national game and a, and a regional game back here where you know it is almost entirely Senators fans listening? Well, it's not It's not a choice. <clears throat> it's not a choice that the play-by-play guy or the color guy makes. When you're doing a national, when you're doing any TV game, uh, the play-by-play and the color guy don't pick the pictures. Right. The producer and the director pick the pictures. They pick the stories you're going to tell in the broadcast. Mm-hmm. When you're doing a national game, that producer or director chooses those stories. So we talk about the things they put up on the air. So it is a different broadcaster and it's regional because the guys who are producing and directing an Ottawa show yes. are going to put up far more Ottawa stuff than you would see in a national game. In a national game, uh, I know people don't believe this, but in an, I know the producers and directors <laughs> who do it, they try for the most part to make the number of stories 50-50. Mm-hmm. They know there's people from you know Toronto and Ottawa both watching the games. Yep. So 
in an Ottawa broadcast, any or a St. Louis broadcaster, a Winnipeg broadcast, it's going to be 80-20. 80% of the stories in the video is going to be about the home team because that's who's watching the game. Right. So the broadcasts are done a little bit differently, but that's just because of the choices of pictures. You know, if if... If the producers and directors choose pictures and graphics, those are the things you have to talk about as a broadcaster. So um, it doesn't really it doesn't change the way I, as a play by play guy, call the game, but it does change the the final product that people watch when you're watching those TV shows because the pictures are chosen to tell a certain story, and the story is different if you're telling it nationally as opposed to locally or regionally. Can you tell me a little bit as we kind of dive into the? I, I'm sure people are are begging me here by this point to get into Ottawa specific stuff here. Sure. So, yeah. um, do you have, you know, you, you've, if I'm not mistaken, you've called everything since game one of the expansion year, right? Like that's, well, not every game. Cause no, I was okay, doing but, TV and, you know, in playoffs, sometimes I would do, but you've been around since yeah, exactly. then. Yeah. yeah I've been and, around, and, but and, I have, I have not called every single right. game. Um, do you have, uh, a favorite, I don't even want to narrow it down to as far as a season, but kind of a favorite little era or time period where just the guys were really likable or the team was really good or like just kind of a couple of year span where you're like, that was really fun to be doing games at this point. Well, I think, you know, um, when it first started, as horrible as the team was because it was new, it was fresh. <laughs> Still to this day when people ask me, you know, what's what was my favorite game of all time? And people always assume it's... Um, competitively based. Sure. You know, the playoff game in 2007 when they went to the finals. Right. My answer is always the same every time. The first game. Right. The very first game because, you know, like when you see the thing grow, there's never going to be a second day when you're born. You know, the the day that, that Ottawa played Montreal at the Civic Center was the birthday for this franchise. And, that will always be the same. And, you know, think about your kids. You know, what's the greatest thing you remember about your kids? You know, mm-hmm. it, it's always day one, the right. day they were born. And then there's other great days, obviously, sure. but you don't have any of those other great days if you're not born. And mm-hmm. so for me, still to this day, no matter what has happened, day one and game one was still, to me, the biggest, most memorable thing. Take us inside that day. Because, you know, we, I, I saw it, I remember I was very young, yeah. obviously, but it was on hockey night in Canada or whatever. What it, What's it like here locally running around? Is it is it complete chaos or, or are things fairly well organized? Like, what's it like getting inside this first NHL game in Ottawa? Well, you know what? I'm, sh- I'm sure there was tons of chaos, but for Gordon and I, um, we had already done preseason games. Uh, we had been in and out of the broadcast booth. We knew the rink really well because it was the Civic Center. Yeah. So for us, it really wasn't chaos. Okay. It was uh, sitting back a lot and then just calling the game because with the opening ceremonies, that really was a TV event and we're on radio. So yeah. basically, we just, uh, after our pregame show ended, um, we just opened up the mics and took the fans to ice level and they heard the same PA and everything that the people in the in the building. So for us, it really wasn't chaotic. And once that ended, then you're just calling the game. But the building obviously was electric because it's game one and you're jacked up because you know this is the start of it all and your city is just wired right up. Sure. And for what it was at that time, there's, you know, celebrities roaming around, you know, Alanis and her boyfriend from that sitcom, <laughs> whatever his name was. Uh, I can't I forget the guy's name. Anyway, they were just walking around up on press row, I think trying to get people to interview them. Right. We, uh, we, didn't, we didn't talk to her because she was kind of standoff. She'd, she'd already done like 15 interviews right. that day with everybody. Uh, Dave Coulier was his name. So we oh, had, yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah, we had Uncle him on for about five minutes and we yeah. cut that short because he was hammered. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like... 
He wanted to be on. He wanted to do his impersonations and stuff, but he of was really course. just in pieces. He yeah. was just he was he was just crushed. That's hilarious. Yeah, you know. Uh, but you know, there was people all over the place, and it was it was super exciting. But it, for us, it wasn't chaotic. I imagine for all the game day people or the people like who work for the team, yeah, they it must have been. You know, just wild. But for us at the radio station, you know, we had all our stuff planned. We knew what it was. Technically, we were set up. We didn't have any technical issues. That's the chaos that you hate when you have yeah. technical problems. We didn't. So, you know, we just we just did our we just did our thing. But I, I can imagine for the people who work for the team, that would have been sure. chaos, emotion, and adrenaline all wrapped up into one. Uh, any other kind of eras or, or I think particular 07, teams? Yeah. To be, you yeah. know, the, I think probably the the two years leading up to going to the final. But, you know, going to the final is, even if even if the team you're covering, as was the case with us, even if they don't win, it's a wild ride because yeah. it's not like anything else. In in the final, that's when, like, our our daily environment, our little cadence of how we going go about doing what we're doing, it all changes. Right. So it's not that they're big changes, but it's, it's all changed because – for the Stanley Cup final, well, actually the semifinals too, uh, the league takes over everything. Yeah. The league takes over everything. So the the uh, media relations people that you know from the team say, listen, can I talk to this guy for a cup? They're no longer in charge of that. They can't give you anyone to talk to. They have no control over their own teams anymore. You have to go through the league for everything. I mean everything. The league guys now control all your technical stuff. Like, I mean, and so... You know, you're going. You're going to talk to players, and it's uh, one of those things where you know the player's going to be behind the microphone. You can't go talk to him. Yeah. You have to ask him questions in front of everybody else, and you know, it's just so it just becomes this great big thing. And the other thing too, to be honest with you, um, that's kind of annoying is when the league take o- takes over, the league views local radio about last on their <laughs> list of things to be yeah. concerned about. So you go from having a broadcast location that's in the middle of the ice, somewhere between the two blue lines, mm-hmm. to being down near the goal line right. with some writer from, you know, wherever, you know, the Kuchatu Express somewhere <laughs> and, you know, the Yukon sitting beside you, you know. So everything changes for you, but it is it is really cool to call games where it's, it is all about the biggest prize for everybody who's in the business. Yeah. And it does have a, a just a different cool feel about it. And for, and for Ottawa, to be honest with you, that was 17 that got to the final. For me, I, I think that probably of that three-year span, of which that was the last year, the teams they had the two years before that were probably better teams. Yeah, I was just going to ask you. Yeah, that, they really were. Um, probably, uh, probably of that, you know, I think uh, one of the things I think back the most about that time was um, the late Ray Emery. Right. And how and how bad I felt for Ray. You know, Ray had that thing dropped in his lap as a 23-year-old to carry. And as talented an athlete and as ferocious a competitor as he was, that was unfair. Mm-hmm. And to tell tales out of school, you know, there was a lot of guys frustrated and angry with Dominic Hasek because he didn't, he didn't try to play. You know, right. he had the injury from the Olympics and they had been working so hard, the, you know, the trainers and the athletic therapists to get him ready to play. And he just refused. Right. He just, no, I'm not going to play. And the irony was, I know for a fact that uh, they were doing things with him where all of his results and all the testing were as good as they were before he got injured. So they knew that physically he, yeah. could, he could play or at least try, and yep. he wouldn't. And this team had, had the ability to go to the Stanley Cup if he would at least try, and he wouldn't. And then it all got dumped in 23-year-old Ray Emery's lap, and it was unfair to Ray. It was unfair to Ray. <laughs> and that's probably the biggest thing that you know, nobody really knew until after it was over. 
you know, because the team is not going to, is not going to, uh, you know, rip on their own goalie. No. And say, well, you know, we've been testing Ray or testing Dominic, and he's fine, but he just refuses to go. They're never going to say that. No, no. But when you find out afterwards, and you talk to this guy, who says, well, you know, between you and I, and that's when you start kind of getting really disappointed in a guy like Dominic Hasek, and really feel sorry for a guy like Ray Emery for for what Ray tried to do. And I, hey, I'm the first to tell you, I know all about the troubles that Ray had off the ice and all the personal stuff. And there's no question he was a troubled individual that mm-hmm. had some demons that he always fought, for sure. No one's denying that. But he didn't deserve that. He didn't deserve to have that, the, you know, the, the, the will and the aspirations of a team and a city yeah. dumped on his shoulders at 23 when he had never been the starter leading up to it. And now you're saying to a 23-year-old kid, it's all on you, kid. It was just unfair. Right. Did a hell of a job despite it. He did. Yeah. He did do a hell of a job. Um, Can you take me inside these last couple years? And you kind of have said now a couple times that your job is strictly to call on the, uh, you know, what you're seeing on the ice, let fans know what's happening and and try and keep them hooked. But the franchise has been through, you know, some tough times. And no matter what the team on the ice is trying to get done, it just felt like there was always these bombs going off, off the ice. And, you know, over the last year or two, it seems like that started to spin and, and there's become these these really good-looking prospects and, and young players mm-hmm. um, around the team and things appear to now be pointed in the right direction. But in a time like that where it's so chaotic around the franchise, does it change anything for you, whether it be on the air or just the blowback you're getting from fans or like everyone was so frustrated? What's what's the last few years been like for you? Um, to be honest with you, no, no different. Yeah. Uh, one, one of the big things is that fans, and, and again, I don't have a problem with this, fans expect you to be as overjoyed and yeah. as angry as right. they are at different times. And they can't understand why you're not. Mm-hmm. And if you're not... They think you're on a side of something. Yeah. Um, if you're not as angry about them, then you're on the owner's side. And I hate the owner. And so Dean Brown is not on the air cracking sure. on the owner 24-7. So he's on <laughs> Eugene's side. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not on Eugene's side or not. Uh, as much as I was on Firestone's side or sure. uh, the, uh, the owner is the owner all the time. The owner is always the owner. And owners in any sport get to do what they want. It doesn't, imp- I, I, it doesn't affect me. So to be honest with you... I don't really worry about it. Mm. Um, has Eugene done the things that I would have done had I been the owner? No. Right. No, he hasn't. But I think, you know, I, I tell people, you, you could say that about anybody. Your boss at work. If you were the boss, would you do that? Well, no, I wouldn't. Oh, right. so, oh, so if, if you don't like I'd him. be giving me a big raise by yeah, now. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so um, it, doesn't, it doesn't really affect me. So I, I just don't get involved, uh, to be honest with you, in, in lobbying for something. Because first of all, if you're covering a sport, it's not my job to lobby for something one way or the other. I, if it happens, I say it. And, you know, and, and I have a perspective on it. Um, but... I don't love or hate Eugene Melnick, just like I didn't love or hate Rod Bryden or love or hate Mr. Firestone. Mm-hmm. There's things that I like about all of them that I respect and decisions they made, all of them, that I still to this day shake my head about. But at the end of the day, it's not my business. They own the team. I call the games. It's, right. You know, so, um, so you do have fans um, that are angry with you, angry with me that I won't take a side and I try to But do you almost become the face of it to them, right? Like they're the ones, or you're the one that they hear all the time fronting this thing that they're so mad at. Yeah, and I think too, I think one of the other things too, Matt, is that um, 
people think it's like in the U.S. where the radio broadcast is owned by the team right. and the broadcasters are employed by the team. Yep. And so they think you're speaking on behalf of the team. A lot of them don't realize here that in Canada, um, we don't. I, I work for Bell Media. I work mm-hmm. for TSN 1200. I, I, don't, I don't work for the team. I don't work for Eugene Melnick. Right. So I think, I think they expect that um, that would be a, a, a case where if you're working for them, then you got to toe the line. Yes. So, Brown, well, the Blue Jays broadcasters not, still get yeah hit with that all the time, right? Yeah. Well, owned by Rogers, owned, owned by, by Rogers. Rogers, they're employed by Rogers. Yeah. You know, and, and I get that, yeah. but in all honesty, I just uh, put it this way: I, I I talked about the ownership of this team on the air as much when Rod Bryden owned the team as I do now, which is not much because right. for my job. Uh, during a game, whether the power play is good or not, has nothing to do with the no. owner. You know what I mean? Like, and so when 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 people ask about, well, you know, what a, what about what he did to Stone? I said, well, what did he do to Stone? Mark Mark Stone, I would have preferred Mark Stone stayed. I sure. love Mark Stone, but Mark Stone made a decision. He was an unrestricted free agent. He decided to leave. Mm-hmm. Now, everybody wants to theorize why they think Mark Stone left and because they don't like the owner, they're assuming it's because of the owner. I just go by what Mark Stone said publicly in front of microphones and reporters. Right. He didn't want to live through a rebuild. He just put the, he didn't want to leave Ottawa, but just couldn't bring himself to go through the prime years of his career in a rebuild. So he decided to go to Vegas and that's the place he wanted to go. And he did. Now, whether he really left because he hated the owner or hated the GM or hated the coach sure. or hated his line mates or hated the city or hated snow or didn't like the taxes <laughs> like every every player every player has a reason why they don't want to stay somewhere if that somewhere wants them to stay right but constantly theorizing about why every player leaves every player leaves for a different reason i'm i am positive there are players that there have that have left this organization because they don't like the owner. Sure. And I'm positive there are players who have left because they don't like the GM. Mm-hmm. And I'm even though we as Ottawa don't like to hear this, I'm positive there are players who left the city because they just don't like Ottawa. Sure. Or their line mates or their the teammates. Attention in or, Canada, right? Or the taxes. My, my wife doesn't like that player's wife and they gotta see each other in the players <laughs> yeah. lounge. Like stuff like that happens. They're humans. They're humans. And so I think for me, when I when I when I look at it, I just say to myself, if if there's fans out there who automatically assume that everything that happens bad or is going to happen that's bad is because of the owner, that's impossible to be true. But it, it may have parts that are true, sure. just like it may have, be part of a whole bunch of other things. But what I know is for my job and what I do, that's not the center of my world. That's not like I'm trying to keep track of who's on the ice, who's yeah. playing right wing with, you know, it's... That's for talk show hosts and columnists, and, and that's fine. That's what they do, and that's good. That's the fun of sports, the mm-hmm. debate and, and the stories. But, you know, the, the, the idea that if I'm not in between power plays trashing the owner, <laughs> that I don't, you know, it's just like, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like asking the welder, how come the plumbing in the house is so bad? I, I don't know. I'm not the plumber. You know, I, don't, I don't know. Like, right. It's so it's, you know, that's kind of the way Great I... Great save by Murray, by the way. Did you hear what Eugene said today? Yeah, yeah you know, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's just, uh, and I think the other thing too is that, um, you know, people I think overestimate and they say, well, why don't you ask him this? And I said, when would I ask him that? I said, you have a gross mis- miscalculation as to how often any of us see or speak to Eugene Melnick, right. you know, owners, owners in sports by and large, um, don't really hardly ever speak to the media no. in any sense. And so when people say to me, like, well, why, why don't you ask him this? 
well, when would that be? Right. You know, like, anyway. It's, ask Bob uh, McCown to ask him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, the owners that do speak to the media almost all have a favorite, and yes. that's obviously Eugene. Pretty clearly. So, you know, John Shannon and Bob McCown, if you want a question to Eugene, that's how you ask him. <laughs> and, you know, as, as the owner, he can do what he wants to do. He owns the team. If he wants to go on that broadcast and not another one, if he wants to talk to this guy and not another one, you know, it's may not be the best way to reach your fans, but it is his decision. It is, it is his decision, and mm. and the the idea the idea that it's it's shilling for some reason. If you're the one who gets an audience with the owner, you know, Roy McGregor is one of the most acclaimed and decorated, both columnists, reporters, and and writers, um, novelists in this country. And when Roy McGregor was a regular daily reporter for the Ottawa Citizen covering the Ottawa Senators, he had a rapport with Rod Bryden that none of us had. He got stories about this team that none of us got. And nobody ever said, Roy McGregor's a shill. Nobody ever said, Roy McGregor is pandering for the owner. Roy had access because the owner at that time liked him and trusted him, so he told him things he didn't tell anybody else. And Roy wrote them. And And if you're the boss of Roy, if I'm Roy's boss at The Citizen, I'm not saying, hey, Roy, listen, you know, like all the other guys and girls in the media aren't getting access. So maybe, you know, when he calls or when you call him, just hang up and don't talk because <laughs> it's unfair. His boss would never no, say that. Get us the scoop. Yeah. Oh, so, it's... you know, so Bruce Garriock's uh, bosses at, at Post Media, you think they're telling him to talk to the owner less? I would imagine you not. You think Bob McCowan <laughs> wants to talk to Eugene less? Right. They get, their, their job is to get stories and get scoops. And, and if you don't have a relationship with the owner in your town as a reporter, you should try and develop one, mm-hmm. not, not, you know, try and run the guy out of town who does have one. You know, yep. it's just, like I said, nobody ever called Roy McGregor a shill because he had a good relationship with, with Bryden. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think people have to realize that, that, you know, as much as there are press conferences and orderly ways of disseminating information by, by team, yep. there's still, to this day, uh, in this league, the biggest stories, by and large, come out of relationships. Uh, both Who you with, know. Yeah, for sure. You know, one of the reasons Bob McKenzie was the biggest star in our business for as long as he was in the business wasn't because he's the best writer in history. He's a wonderful writer, yep. but there's lots of guys who are better at actually sure. forming. But who had the access? Who had the phone numbers? Who had the people who wanted to talk to him? And that was all relationship building. Yeah. So is, is, is he a bad guy because all those people give him the stuff and nobody else? No, he's doing his job. Yeah. That that is the job, and that job is building relationships. That is the job. Um, what do you think now? You know that the team is sort of back. We're hearing a lot less about the owner now that the team is yeah. sort of. Yeah. Sp- now, I guess as we sit here and record, Brady doesn't yet have a deal. Mm-hmm. I think most of us assume it's coming, but yep. there is a certain portion of the fan base that's still antsy over Eugene at that right now. But mm-hmm. now that the team is back on the right path, you know, it, it would appear, we're hearing less about Eugene. What do you think of this this young group moving forward and, and what they have coming and, and what the future, you know, could be for these guys? I think they have a chance to be really, really good. And that's that's based on what this league is right now. This team, if the way they're building it, this team is never going to challenge for the President's Trophy as the best regular season team. But they might be an absolute bitch to face in the playoffs. <laughs> because anybody who thinks as much as the game has changed, uh, there are parts of the game that have not changed at all. I'm a one Leaf, of them ga- is a the Leaf style. guy. You don't have to tell me yeah, well, that, that it changes yeah, in the playoffs. Guy, you know, like, <laughs> I know it's right, different. And Toronto it might be 
the mo- might be the most skilled team, if not the second most skilled team in the league. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't matter in playoff style doesn't hockey. Doesn't seem if you, to. <laughs> if you can't play that way or have your best guys be able to deal with that kind of play and that kind of officiating, then you can't be a good playoff team. And right now, seeing the way they are, the 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 personality, the type of personality they want this team to have, they are they are building this team to be a team that will constantly finish fourth or fifth in the conference and make the playoffs, mm-hmm. but be a team that nobody wants to play in the playoffs. Right. And they're quite likely, maybe with the exception of Tim Stutzla, they're quite likely not to have anybody who's going to be in the top 15 of scoring in the NHL every year, but they're still going to be a team that has a very, very good playoff history because of the the, the realities of the way this game is played and called in the playoffs. Yeah. So I, I uh, you know, I'm around it every day, so you can see it growing by increments, and the attitude of the players is one of the most important things. And I'm a big believer um, in analytics, and I'm a big believer in using that tool, mm-hmm. but I'm also a big believer in balancing that with your gut feeling sure. of what you see the style of play is and having players who are comfortable in that style. And that's where I see a very positive bridge for this team. They're, they, they now pay far more attention to analytics than they used to as an organization to their betterment, mm-hmm. which I think is positive. And, but they still have an idea about the type of team, the style of play of the team they want to have. And, and I personally think that the style that they have chosen is the one that's most likely to be best in the playoffs because that's just the reality of the way the game is right now. Looks like it, yeah. Um, what do you think this coming season a reasonable expectation might look like? Uh, you know what? I think that it's, prob- it's probably because the team, the core of the team, the most important part of the team is still so young. I think this is a team that's either um, going to make the playoffs by a couple of points, but I think it's far more likely this is a team that's going to be out of the playoffs by a couple of points. Um, so pushing late, and yeah, hanging around, yeah, and, hanging, ar- hanging around, and pushing teams because they they still don't have enough experience in their high end players, and they're still at the point where their highest end offensive players aren't at their highest end yet because they're just too young. Yeah, Timmy Timmy Stutzel is not going to lead the league in scoring at nineteen. It's right, just you know. So, but they're all trending in that in that area, mm-hmm. and some of what will be the key parts for this team aren't going to be there. Jake Sanderson's not going to be yeah. there till the end of the year. I would doubt, don't know for sure, but I would doubt that uh, Jacob Bernard Docker is going to spend the season in, in the NHL. I think he's probably going to start in the AHL. Mm-hmm. And But you, you never know. Like in this league now, um, you have to have 10 defensemen that can play in the yeah. NHL because you, you just do. And so um, he's going he's gonna to play NHL games this year, but I think he's probably and probably should spend the year in the AHL. So you're kind of, you know, if you want to, for me, if I want to predict what I think this team can be, I kind of look at it as, ask me that question when Jake Sanderson is playing. Right. Ask me that question when JBD is a regular NHLer. Ask me that question when the decision has been made whether Brandstrom or Mete or both can play on an NHL top six on a competitive team. And when you find out what Norris really is, what Pinto really is, and what Stutzley is going to be when he's comfortable being in the NHL. And it's too soon to answer any of those questions. And, and I know people are getting impatient. I totally get that. Yeah. But you can't make someone's birth certificate change just because <laughs> you want them to be older faster. Right. So for me, answering that question, like I say, I'll, I'll answer when all those things are in place and then you know what it's more likely to be. You yeah. know what I mean? What, what it's capable of being. Because the other thing is with all the guys they've drafted and the prospects that they have, not all of them pan out. Nope. 
You know, there, there's there's failures in every draft. There's no way, uh, in an eighteen year old draft. There's no way around that. So you have to figure out which guys are going to be the ones that are what you thought they were going to be. And the good news is that in every draft, there's also a couple of guys you draft where you draft them in the fifth round and they end up being great sure. for you. Yeah. You know, that's also you know the Mark Stone story, the yeah. Alfredson story. So. You kind of still, from my standpoint, hey, you know, it'd be great for the city, great for the franchise if they made the playoffs this year. I know the owner wants and I guess kind of expects that, yep. and that would be great for the city. But I, I think it's more likely that they that they don't make the playoffs. But that doesn't mean it's a failed season. No. If all those guys we talked about become incrementally better in one year, then that's better for where this team is going to be in two years than where it might be next fall. Right. You know? Uh, one more for you, if you got the time. Got tons of time. Um, I've been wondering what this season was like for you. This past year, it was the North Division. You're having to call games from, uh, you know, you're not on the road. We had Ray Ferraro on yep. a couple weeks ago, and he talked about, you know, the frustrations of, uh, you know, sometimes feeling like he was a second behind the broadcast yep. or his partner because he was, at least you and Gord got to be in the same room while you were calling games. But just what were some of the challenges like this year or, you know, the differences of, of, uh, of doing games not on the road with the team and empty arenas and just this whole mess. Well, you know, you know the obvious one is it's, it's uh, not as easy or complete to call a game off monitor because one of the things doing play-by-play is, you know, you have the wider view of the entire ice so you can tell who's coming over the board. You can, whereas if you're just watching the broadcast, yeah. you know, the te- you, they, they follow the puck for obvious reasons. Sure. So you're calling who's in the frame. But, you know, you can't tell who's coming over the boards. and uh, So... But everybody can understand that. I think, to be honest with you, the biggest thing for us, Matt, was the special sauce. You know, the special sauce to listening to Dean and Gord is we are the only guys, the only guys normally, who are with the team for every game, every right. day. Yeah. You know, the newspaper guys, they can't do that. They, you know, they have to switch off and on. Guys have days off, so one guy will follow them and then the other guy picks it up there. There's only two guys who are at every game in every hotel all the time, and that's Gordon and I. And the special sauce is the fact that, you know, we're around the players and the coaches all the time. So the little stories, most of which have nothing to do with hockey, but all the little stories you get when you're sitting in the lobby of the hotel waiting for an Uber and you're sitting down beside, you know, pick a player. Uh, he's waiting for his Uber too and you're sitting down beside Shabbat. You start shooting the poop and uh, he's talking about his dog. And you, sure. And so when you, you get on the air and you say, yeah, I was talking. To, and he had his dog. He got his dog spaded and had to wear the cone <laughs> for four days, knock 15 things up. Now, that's not an important story to anybody's life. But it just brings a special intimacy to the fans about what's going on in the guy's life, right. what he's like, what he, oh, he's got a dog, what kind of dog, golden, I have a golden, you know, just, and that's the special sauce that you only get by being with them. Right. Any, anybody can sit in front of a box and call a game. Some will do it better than others, some will do it worse, but anybody can sit in front of a box. So on our broadcast on TSN 1200, what's the special sauce? The special sauce is the relationships and the stories that Gord and I can bring and, and the history of having been there since day one. Mm-hmm. But we can bring that to the air that really nobody else can. Because again, the writers aren't there every day. And the TV guys like last year, Gordon Ray or Gordon Noodles or, you know, whoever was doing it, CC and, you know, when he was still working for yep. TSN, um, they're in and out. They don't travel with the team. They don't stay in the same hotels. They fly in for the games. They fly out. They're not around the team. They have, you know, in the, in the case of Ray and, and Ray's working for ESPN now, but yeah. in the case of Ray and Gord or Noodles, they're doing other teams in other cities. They're not as locked onto that. So mm-hmm. we just have far more opportunities to be able to bring that special sauce to a broadcast that makes fans, I think, closer to their team and closer to their favorite players and closer to understanding 
the life that they that they live. Right. You know, because we can talk about what time we landed, what time they got to their hotel, what time they had to get up to be at the rink, and why these turnaround games and coaches say, well, you know, the turnaround's tough. Well, the average fan goes, well, what's tough? You played last night, <laughs> you flew in a fancy jet, you stayed in a nice hotel, and you're playing tonight. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they got into the fancy hotel at 3 in the morning. Right. And the bus is at 7.30. You know what I mean? Like, so you can... You have a better chance to be able to frame things and put things in perspective, and you have a better chance of being able to um, get fans closer to their team and maybe more importantly to the players and coaches and the people around their team that are doing it every day. And and that's the special sauce we can bring. And when we're doing it in studios, we can't. Right. Are you – I mean, none of us know what's next. Things look positive right now. Are you optimistic that the things may look closer to normal next season? Do you have a, a feel at all? Um, I, I would think so. I would hope so, but I don't know so. Yeah. But you know what, again, it's, and you know, I don't, I don't know, maybe it's just my personality. Um, I'm really not worried about it one way or the other. Hmm. You know, like if we're, if we're not back on the road, it means we're back in the studio, which is not great, but you know. Live with it. St- yeah. yeah, still did the games, all yeah. the checks cleared, got paid, paid the mortgage. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like it's, sure. it's, 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 it's very much the same attitude when people want to have the owner discussion. Right. And they get upset that I'm not angry about something. It's, it's the owner. Owners do what owners do. It doesn't affect me. You know? So for me, if we're on the road, uh, great. If we're not, Gordon and I are, are very lucky in that the people we work for at TSN 1200 understand. Yeah. So they don't put us in a situation, well, how come you're not bringing this to the broadcast right. anymore? How, well, you have to explain, well, how would we do that? <laughs> yes. Like, you know, texting the guy is not going to get me, you know, like it's, it's, sure. and they, they understand, they understand that. So we're not put under any pressure to be able to have the same kind of access and the same kind of broadcast. Yeah. So for me, um, I hope it would get back to normal because I think what that, brings to the broadcast is better for the broadcast, but Mm -hmm. if it isn't, it isn't. And that's just the way the world works. You know, through all this pandemic, uh, the first thing I found out is that uh, I have no control over anything and I go where people (laughs) That's been humbling for a lot of us, right? And uh, and as far as the other stuff, you know, I know you're double vaxxed, I'm double vaxxed. I just listen to scientists. Yes. I don't uh, don't have any time for conspiracy theories and all that goofy stuff. And I just listen to scientists and I understand that uh, science changes as they learn more, which mm-hmm. doesn't mean six months ago they lied to you. It's just they've learned more in six yep. months. So which is exactly you know, what we want them to do. Exactly. We want scientists to do so. I just listen to scientists, and if they say, you know, not a good idea for people to travel, then we won't travel. And right. If they say it is, then we will, and I'm fine with that. Yeah. Uh, this has been great, Dean. Really appreciate you taking some time out of your summer to uh, to come in and do this and, and talk hockey on a, on a hot day in, in Ottawa. You said there a few minutes ago there's a couple questions that we won't be able to answer for a while. Hope maybe uh, when it is closer to time to answer them, you'll be able to come back and do this again with us. Call me anytime. That would be great. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, for Dean Brown, my name is Matt Robinson, and we will see you all on the next episode of Talk and Audio. It is over! Now that's a tasty beverage. Thanks for listening. You can get more TCA at tallcanaudio.com or by searching Tall Can Audio on your favorite podcast app.